Okay. We are in Parshas Mishpatim, and we are up to Monday to Shani. A lot of laws, a lot of very, very long, fascinating Rashi. And we'll see how many we can get through. I doubt the whole Aliyah. Quite long. Okay. So we're in chapter 21, verse 20. If a man strikes his male or female slave with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, the death must be avenged. So, the first question here is, what slave are we talking about? Because as we've already learned from the beginning of this portion, when we say slave, we can mean a Gentile slave, we can mean a Jewish slave. So the verse here, right, is actually, we're speaking here when you have to avenge the death of a Gentile slave. How do we know that we're not talking about a Jewish slave? Because in the next verse in discussing this issue, this is 20 and 21, explaining the slave, it says he is his master's property. Now, a Jewish slave is not the master's property. The Jewish slave leaves after six years. So who is a property? Only the one that stays with him forever, which means it's a Gentile slave. Now, the question would be, why do we have to make a special law then that if you kill your slave, you get put to death? We know that in general, if you kill someone, you get put to death. What's the difference? But what we see here is a special clause that if the master struck the slave, but then he lingered for over 24 hours, he does not, the master does not receive the death penalty. Um, it says, with a rod, with a staff. Meaning, we have to hear be speaking that the master struck him with something capable of causing a death. If he, he struck him with a rubber band that led to his death, we wouldn't hold him liable because that's not something that we think has the power to kill. But maybe we're not true, as far as he says. Maybe actually it means any rod, even one that's not capable of causing death. So, we see, concerning the Jewish victim, that it says, and if with the stone in his hand, whereby he would buy, did he strike him? Meaning, whereby he would die means that the stone has the ability to cause death. It wasn't a little pebble. You threw the pebble, but you don't know this person has a very weak heart, and he was so shocked that he went into a heart attack and he died. No, we do not hold you responsible. Yes, you deliberately threw the pedal. You knew what you were doing and you did it. But we're not responsible. That was a very childlike act, which was actually, of course, this tragic murder. Tragic murder here. So therefore, since regarding the Jewish slave, it says very clearly we're only liable if you strike him with something which has the potential to cause death, for sure, for the Gentile slave that we would be less stringent with, also here... The master is only liable if he struck with something that could cause death. And then the the verse says that Nakomina came. Surely his death has to be avenged. Because and which relates here, Sarah says, Sarah no chemist becomes a sword that avenges that the vengeance of the covenant. In other words, the death by sword indicates the vengeance energy, 
And that's what we're getting to here in the Pesach, where it says, Nakomina came, the death of the avenged. So again, we see how this all perfectly works together. Continuing, however, if he, the slave, survives for a day or two, the death is not avenged. For he, the slave, is his master's property. So here we see, unlike for a regular person, meaning if you hit him with an implement that has the power to kill, and you did it, then you're liable. And if he lingers for a week, but then he dies, then you're just liable the exact same way. But for your Gentile slave, there's exclusion. If the slave lingers more than the 24 hours, we ignore the fact completely. We're only giving credit to it if it is that the slave passed away within the first 24 hours. No, but the verse wrote in an interesting way. If he survives for a day or two, oh, if he survives for one day, he's trying to survive for two. If he survives for two, we know he survives for one. So what do we see from here? Why does it say a day or two? Like, make up your mind. If it's two, it's two. Fine. If it's one, it's one. Fine. So what does it say a day or two? So we say here, that it's a yom, it's a day that should be viewed as yomayim. It should be viewed as a two-day dose, a two-day opportunity. So what's a day that should be viewed as two days? One full, complete day of 24 hours. That is a yom, yomayim. It's one day, it could like two days, because like in this case it would have some of the previous day and it's some of the following day with it at one time. Now, it says you're not avenged because it's your property. But again, if your neighbor down the block, God forbid, struck the slave and he lingered in his bed for five days and then he came to, he has equal rights to everything there. Next verse. If men will fight and they strike a pregnant woman, causing her to miscarry, but there's no fatal injury to the woman, he, the guilty one, should be punished with a monetary penalty. When the husband demands compensation, he shall pay as determined by the judges. So now we moved on to a different case. Now we have that was our previous two verses were this slave that got struck, and if he got struck, truly bad enough to die, and how it is, and all the details there. Now we're speaking of something else, which is this pregnant woman who sees two people fighting, and sometimes she gets in the middle, and one of the two hit her, she became a victim. Is struck very fairly. Is it? So, what was the fatal blow here? Well, the point is she was pregnant. And she lost the baby. She did not get harmed. I mean, besides that tremendous harm. She did not uh, suffer the damage, but there's a mistake. So, she is punished. How is he punished? He has to pay the value of the baby to the husband. How in the world would you know the value of a baby? 
our sages would do is they would say a woman like this of this age, temperament, health, talent, skill set, how much would she sell for in the marketplace? How much would she sell for in a different marketplace when you don't have this, this need to figure this out? And then when you look at the two figures and you're saying, okay, well, if she would sell in the marketplace pregnant uh, 20 more than she would sell a pregnant, then I'm going to make sure to, to see the difference. And that difference is the value of the baby, meaning a very simple number that she was 100, whatever the coins were, I'm pregnant, and 130 pregnant, that means we're evaluating the value of that life at 30. Okay, now it says he's to be punished, the person who accidentally killed the woman and caused the miscarriage. What's the punishment? A monetary compensation. The husband has to summon him to court to put this penalty on him. And this person will follow the, the judges. This person is going to have to pay what the judges determine for this situation. But, the next verse says, however, if there's a fatal injury, you shall give up a life for a life. Now, what does a fatal injury mean? It means to the woman. The previous verse was not viewed as a fatal injury because it was, of course, very serious. It was a miscarriage, but the woman was not harmed. Personal. The baby was harmed. But here, the woman's harmed fatally. It doesn't mean a life for a life. So some say it means literally a life. The person struck the woman and killed her inadvertently, but he's liable for the death penalty. Now, wait a minute, how can he be liable for the death penalty? It was an accident. Yeah, but the blow that he used to kill her, he was intending to kill someone. He was intending to kill someone else. He was intending to kill. And this follows the rule that if you intend to kill one person and you end up killing another, you're liable by the death penalty. So that's one opinion. The others say no. It doesn't mean literally a life. It means a monetary compensation because if you kill one person, though you meant to kill another person, you're not liable because it was not intentional. So again, we have the stages that say, yes, this is meant literally. This was a case of murder, intentional murder with witnesses. And others say no, even though it was intentional, but it wasn't intended for her, and therefore, it can't possibly mean that he is put to death for it because he didn't intend to kill her. And there has to be intention in, in you know, for it to be delivered up. That's the idea of deliverance, that there's intention. So what does it mean then, a life for a life? It means the monetary value. That's what it means in this case, the monetary value. And how do we figure out the monetary value? We go back to our same rule of thumb, what would it be in the marketplace? What would it be in the marketplace if you were trying to sell such a person in the marketplace? What would it be? And that amount is the amount that that you have to pay now 
to the heirs, of course, of this, to the heirs of this woman, who unfortunately, unfortunately, passed away. So that, of course, is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous logic thought. Well, here, how this man, of course, was sending to do, he was literally saying the murder, and this woman got killed. And then, of course, we have the famous verse, conversation with an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. So, obviously, we know that verse is completely misunderstood in Christian secular world. As Rashi explains, what it means is if you blinded a person's eye, you have to compensate him the worth of an eye. Not that for the meaning, if you took away someone's eye, they take away your eye. How can we figure out the worth of an eye? So again, we go back to our slave market. What amount would a slave's worth be decreased if he lost an eye? Meaning you'd take two slaves of the same, you know, build, same age, same basic strength, but one's blind, one's not. Well, what's the difference in their price? Okay, that is the price of the eye. And so to in all the others, the hand, the tooth, this does not mean, God forbid, that if someone causes damage to someone else's eye or hand or tooth, their own is removed. Compensation of a burn for a bone, of a wound for a wound, of a bruise for a bruise. A wound, Rashi explains, well, it starts with a burn, sorry. A burn was caused by fire. Now, why are we discussing this? Because until now, the Torah spoke of damages where you have a lessening of worth. But now, we don't have a lessening of worth. In other words, if someone burnt someone else, there's not a lessening of worth. I mean, it was just very painful. So now we're learning that we don't only pay for the value of a loss of something, we also pay for the pain endured. Actually, according to Tyra, there's five different dimensions that we pay in these situations. We pay for the loss of something. We also pay for the pain incurred in that loss, meaning, let's say a person knocked out someone's eye, and they're paying him for the value of an eye. But they're not paying him to remove it any way you want. Like, what about anesthesia? Hello? So the fact that you removed it in a painful fashion, that's another level of damage. We also have to pay for the lack of work if the person got hurt. We also have to pay for the embarrassment. So it's not just one simple payment. This is very sophisticated, compounded. And again, in each, and in each situation... What we're looking at is always going back to the slave market, that lessening of value or change of value. In this situation, in terms of pain, or again, since pain is a causal lessening of worth, how did they figure out pain? Well, they did one of two things. Either they would ask people of a similar socioeconomic status, how much do we need to pay you for you to undergo this type of pain? Like, for a, if we'd like to burn your hand, how much money do we have to give you to burn your hand? And the amount said, okay, for this type of person, his socioeconomic status, that's the value of the pain. They would also ask the question of the opposite. 
how much money would you pay me to avoid this pain? And again, that is in essence saying the same thing. What is the value of the pain? How much is that pain costing? So that's the significance of saying the burn, meaning that we have to have the pain. What's it mean by a wound? A wound is where we're having a cut in the skin. Um, and a bruise is a wound, but it's not a cut, meaning the, the, the person hurt the person hard enough that there's a bruise, but the skin wasn't pierced. And that would be what mean, of course, by the idea of the bruise. Now, what we're saying here, again, Rashi just repeats, or not repeats, <laughs> I said it had a Rashi, this idea of all the different types of, of fines, of penalties the person has to pay, which, as we're saying, is only for the value of the limb, for the value of the pain, for the time he cannot work, for his embarrassment, and for his medical costs. Those are the five different areas of financial compensation that has to happen in such a situation. Next, if a man strikes the eye of his slave or the eye of his female slave and destroys it, he shall set him free as compensation for the eye. And then the next verse says, I'm going to read ahead, if he knocks out the tooth of his slave or knocks out the tooth of his female slave, he shall set the slave free as compensation for the tooth. So who are we talking about here? Again, whenever we have slave, we always have a question, Jewish or non-Jewish. Here, you knocked out the eye, you knocked out the tooth, the slave goes free. Which slave? Russia says the Gentile, not the Jew. Which Russia already explained to us previously in, in explaining other verses. So why are we listing here eye and tooth? It applies to the loss of all the 24 tips of the limb. When you know the tips of the limb, you mean the fingers of the hands and the toes. So that's 20, 10 fingers, 10 toes. The two ears, that becomes 22. And the nose. And what's called the Roish Hagavia, which is the member. So we actually have 24 different other applications of this concept. So why do we mention the tooth and the eye? Oh, if we mention the eye and not the tooth, I would think that the tooth doesn't fly because the eye is created with the person. The tooth grows later. So I would think this law only applies to something created with the person. Or what if I mentioned the tooth and not the eye? Then I would think if it's a tooth, it would mean any tooth, even a baby tooth. So I know by the eye it has to be something permanent. I know by the tooth it also includes things that you're born with. And over the eye, includes things that are permanent. So, yes, a tooth, but no baby teeth. So, in such a situation, the slave, it is a good day for the slave, actually. Of course, that was very painful. You lost the tooth, but you got free. Otherwise, you are a slave forever, and your children forever. So, it's a very big compensation here. I would understand from here the, the terrorist perspective of really giving the owners this very big uh, 
lost, they lost the whole slave to really restrain them from striking their slaves. If you strike your slave in such a fashion that you knock out his tooth, which doesn't take that much, you know, the owner and a slave, and the slave is a nothing, I can do whatever I want with him. But if you strike him like that, of course, you tell her he's going to be free. So you got to be careful. You can't really just brutally treat these tra- slaves because then they're going to get free on you. You want to keep them. You have to be careful not to strike them in anger. So even though we have only a certain number of limbs enumerated, but there's enough enumerated, you have to, in general, be careful. Because, again, these are things that really could happen. It's not so unrealistic to envision an owner striking out a tooth. No, even a tooth. If you do that, he's free. Watch out. Now we're going into a whole other set of laws. Here we were talking a lot about slaves, going back and forth with different things, but kept coming back to the slaves. Now we're talking about the damages. We have four types of damages. This here in Parshish Mishpatim, we enumerate the damages of the ox, damages of fire, the damages of uh, an animal walking or grazing your land, and another one escapes me the second. <laughs> um, these damages are actually the base of an enormous amount of Gemara to explain at length the very, very complex laws, a number of which, of course, are, are going to be touched on in these very lengthy Rashis. So it says, if an ax scores a man or a woman and the victim dies, the, axe, the ox shall be stoned to death and its flesh may not be eaten. And the owner of the ox shall be unpunished. So why does it say an ox? It only applies to an ox. What if another animal gored? Well, Rashi says, if any animal that would do this damage is the same, but the Torah speaking, the common, you're not going to assume a horse is going to gore, you're not going to assume a sheep is going to gore, you're not going to assume an axe. Probably that's the type of animal that gore, but anyone would have the same rules. So if so the ox gores a person, the person dies, the ox is stoned, you cannot eat its flesh. So why does the person have to say that? Obviously, if the ox is stoned, I'm not allowed to eat it. it, it, it there's no shita. It's, it's an avela. Why do I say you can't eat its flesh? But what could happen will be the owner would say, wait a minute. I know this animal is, is going to be killed. It's going to be stoned. So let me literally slaughter it first so then I can get some benefit from it. If it's dead corpse, I can't eat it a lot of money to lose, a lot of stakes to lose. But the verse says the owner of the ox shall be clean. That's how the literal meaning. I translated it should be unpunished, but literally means clean. The Raji says it's like the expression, oh, so-and-so was wiped clean. He's got nothing left. Because the owner of the ox is clean, he doesn't have anything left from that ox. So it can't just be that he lost it. He has to even lose the value of its stakes. But if the ox had gored yesterday and the day before, and a warning was given to the owner, but he had not taken proper precaution to guard it and kill the man or a woman, the ox must be stoned and the owner shall also die. So basically, in, in halakha, there's two concepts, concepts within the boring ox. There's what's called a tum. A tum is timeless, it's innocent. We don't know this is a vicious ox. We think it's like every other ox. So it killed a person. Yes, of course, it has to be killed. So I lose a lot of money, but I'm not blamed in any other way. Why would I think my ox will kill someone? 
Then there's a muad. A muad it means it's warned. We know this is a killer ox. So if this ox kills again, after being a muad, I also am liable. Now you could say, how in the world could you ever reach the situation of a muad? We said the law is, by a tum, the ox kills the person, the ox is killed. Done. How can we have a muad where the ox had to kill three times for it to become a muad? So theories, the answers are given, but it's, it, you know, you tried to kill the ox, so the ox ran away, and then the ox killed someone else, and then the ox killed someone else. So you, wasn't, you weren't controlling it properly. It did not get turned over to be killed, and in the meantime, this is what happened. Or it ran into the herd, and then you were confused. You couldn't find which ox it was, so you start randomly killing them. So therefore, you didn't kill them, and that's how it escaped. So there are three borings. If it three times gores, again, gores and kills, gores and kills, gores and kills three times, of course, it should be killed after time one, after time two, and after time three, but somehow it's not. At this point, the owner is warned. That's the idea of calling it a mu'ad. Mu'ad, like for aid, witnesses, a warning given before witnesses. We're warning you, if this vicious killer ox kills again, you are also Kai of Misa. You also will be killed. Now, Rashi also clarifies, but keep using the term goring. Well, what if ox kills a different way? What if ox kills by biting or shoving or kicking? Does that also apply? Yes, absolutely. Any way that he kills, it applies. As the verse says, he kills. An extra of the hemis means he kills. So they never tell. If that happened, meaning there's now the ox's fourth time killing, it killed three times. The fourth time it kills, it's the moors. It has to die, and the owner has to die. We do not apply this death. This person does not die by the hand of man. He dies by the hand of God. For murders you commit yourself, people put you to death. For murders committed by your ox, we leave that up to God. 